Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, and thank you for listening to Making Action Happen once again. Um, Sarah is still on vacation in Alaska, so it is just me today, but I brought in Brandon Martin, um, somebody that we'll get to know here in a little bit. He's running for city council here in Pueblo, and it kind of fits into our previous show of you know young people getting into politi- politics, leadership positions, making things happen. But before we get to that, I wanted to bring up the redistricting, something that we talk about constantly on this show. And again, I apologize for bringing it up again, but the redistricting commission finally released their preliminary map. Um, This is one of Benny to come. They're still going to rework it. So we're probably going to see different variations of this. Um, We may see a completely different map or maps. The only way that it would stay this map is if they actually really like it and the public input likes it and they vote to approve this. But my prediction is we're going to see it move around a bit Um, some different ideas, especially when they open the public comment. But what I would like to bring up is during the public meeting yesterday where they unveiled the map, one of the reasons why they went with this one, which if you look at it, just go to Colorado Redistricting Committee and you can see uh, a basic map or a detailed one, is it's similar to the map that Action 22, Club 20, and Pro 15 proposed to them and support it. It's not the same thing. It's a little different. For instance, in the map that they proposed, the preliminary one, it actually keeps the valley together. So Pueblo and all the San Luis Valley goes into the fourth district, which is currently Representative Buck's district. It does go up and it it includes Douglas County, which in our map, we cut Douglas County out just because we felt that that was too much of a a population center, uh, an urban population center that would kind of dilute the voice of Pueblo and Weld and Southern Colorado. But what this one does, and I kind of like this, it actually goes into Douglas County and goes around Castle Rock. So you'll have Larkspur in it and then the east side of Douglas County, but actual Castle Rock would be in a different district. Um, It does go up to Weld County and it does cut off a bit of Weld County. If you go all the way west towards Fort Collins, that's kind of carved out there. And the reason for that from what I heard and what I believe from the meeting yesterday was that, you know, that kind of kept the college town together. And that goes into the new district, the eighth district that they're proposing, which will be the the middle of the state, Northern Colorado, from Larimer County down to Boulder and Gilpin. Um, And it also puts a small part of El Paso County in the fourth district. That was something that they really touched on was that El Paso County, we knew it had the population to be its own district, but it may have too much people. So there, there's, they had to carve some of it out. One of the discussions that we had on one of the hearings was that do you carve the North part out and put it, you know, further North or is it going to be the East or West side? What they did here is the lower right-hand corner, the Southeast corner of El Paso County. So Colorado Springs fountain, that's still in the fifth district. But once you get to that, that lower right corner of the County, that will be put in the fourth. And, um, that kind of makes sense because that's a very rural part and there's not a lot of population there. So, and some of that area, I know some of the ranches cross over to Pueblo County, Crowley County, Lincoln County. 
So it makes sense to me. I, I actually like that. If they were going to split up El Paso County in any way, I think this is the way I would prefer. But again, what our map did is it cut out Alamosa and everything west and put it in the third district. But this preliminary map actually keeps all that together and puts it in the fourth. So Mineral, Swatch, Rio Grande, Alamosa, Conejos, Castilla, Custer, Huerfano, Pueblo, that's all over and everything east of there and north. So I'm happy with it. Um, again, I've said it many times, you know, no map is perfect, but my concern with the one we endorsed was that it would break up the valley and this map actually does not break up the valley. So I appreciate that. It does put Fremont County, Teller Park, Chafee, you know, that all goes into the third district now. Um, Park, even I think Clear Creek, Summit, um, all of Eagle County, currently Eagle County split in the third. Grand County, even into Boulder County a little bit will be in the third and Jackson route and pretty much everything else on the Western slope. So that's what we're looking at, what the redistricting commission is gonna do. They're still taking public comments. You can actually go on their site. If you just Google Colorado redistricting commission or committee, um, you can play, you can draw your own map and play around with it with the population projections they have. It is important to say that Right now, they don't have the census data yet because due to COVID, it's running late. But this is based off the, uh, I think it's the American Survey Act something. Well, I forget what it's called, but this is of 2019. So I think the population that comes back from the census when it breaks down county-wise, it's going to be similar to what they have. It's about a year old right now, and I don't foresee it changing that much. Of course, they're just now starting to talk about the, the state redistricting um, for the, the state house and Senate, which they're not adding or taking away seats. They just have to adjust those counties to make sure the population is spread out. Um, for our area, I don't think the rural population has grown or dropped off that much. So I think for the Action 22 area, you're gonna see something similar to how it's set up now. I have heard that there might be some more that comes into Pueblo, like we might get one of the districts might come into the Pueblo County region, but for the most part, I think it's going to stay about the same. Uh, what's going to be interesting with this map is you have a ton of people that are going to be running for the third CD right now and the fourth. And some of the people, if you if they go by this map, some of those that are running for the third congressional district right now will actually be in the fourth district. And one thing that many people don't realize is you do not have to live in a district to run for it when it comes to the U.S. House of Representatives. You have to live in the state, but that's it. So you can have somebody in Denver run for the third district or somebody in Durango or Grand Junction run for the fourth district. It's not a requirement that they live in the district. Now, I don't know if they'll be elected if they're living you know, in Denver and running for the third district or Pueblo and running for the eighth district. That's, that's another um, challenge. But... Again, these maps, one of the rules when they drew these was not to protect or favor an incumbent or anybody that's running a candidate. So that's off the table. They did not take in consideration previously drawn districts or current members of Congress. In fact, I think Perlmutter, if I read it right, he lives 50 yards from the new congressional district. He's, if it goes off this map, He's about 50 yards away from the new district, but still lives in his district. But again, that doesn't matter because you can live outside the district. Um, with that, you know, if there's any questions, comments about this map, what we've endorsed, um, I know Sarah sent out an email yesterday saying that we did good work on this because one thing they did keep bringing up during the, the 
public meeting was that they heard a lot of comments and concerns that people wanted two rural districts. And that's what we have been pushing. And with this map, the preliminary map, they tried to keep those two rural districts in. And that was because people called in, wrote, commented, um, testified saying they wanted this. So if you don't think your voice matters, it actually does because it was Action 22, Club 20, Pro 15 that got this rolling. And, and we saw that the, you know, the results of our work doesn't stop yet though. We can't just stop caring about this, stop commenting because we need to keep it up, keep the momentum saying we do want these two rural districts or however you see fit, you know, I'm not telling you how to think on this, but um, please, please, please comment. Let them know what you think of this. If you have better ideas, different ideas, what you want to see, continue to comment. And they're going to be hosting some public hearings like a roadshow. And when they do that, you need to show up and voice your opinion on this because it matters. We do not want the Denver metro area to have 50,000 people writing in, commenting, showing up to meetings, and they get to southeastern Colorado and we have 12 people show up and comment. We don't need to be overshadowed by those voices up there. Anyway, that's enough redistricting for today. Um, I probably will talk about it again next week, but let's go to Brandon Martin. So Brandon Martin, um, I initially met him Gosh, what's it been, five years ago, six years ago? Five years ago. Five years ago, he interned in Scott Tipton's office with me here in Pueblo. I think it was me and Doug in the office at the time. Yep, all three of us. Yep. So he, he was our intern, and he had an interest in politics. And, um, you know, his dad's a police officer here. Everybody knows him. Um, my dad was a police officer as well, or sheriff. So he, he my dad knows your dad. <laughs> and. And I, I've actually ran into your dad at every meeting I've gone to or every event. It seems like the past two weeks, I've seen him about a dozen times. But Brandon was an intern and he wanted to get into politics. So after he left our office, um, you know, I didn't hear anything from him, didn't see him. I think I wrote a letter of recommendation at one point. Um, and then about a month ago, I think it was, I'm reading in the Chieftain and your picture pops up says that you are going to be running for a city council at large seat. So what are you running for? So, yeah, I'm running for the um, at-large seat here in Pueblo. Uh, currently, uh, there will be two seats that are up for um, election here November 2nd. Um, uh, so, and it's, and it's a jungle election. So you, the, the top two people will get the two seats that are, that are, um, that are voted in. So, so how that works is you can have five people running for two seats and then who the top two, they get the votes, get those two seats. Correct. Yeah. Um, and that, that's everyone. So if let's say the top two incumbents still get the top or the two most votes, then obviously they'll stay the incumbents. Okay. And, it, and that goes for the other seats as well. So if it's in a district, um, I know we've seen a few people, somebody was just appointed to city council for, uh, uh yeah. Ray district Aguilar's. four for Ray Aguilar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who passed away, unfortunately uh, about a month ago. Um, Right now, are you one of four candidates? So it's the two incumbents and then you and somebody else running? Yes. Yeah. So uh, there are two challengers, uh, me and another woman running here, um, running against those two. As of yet, there hasn't been any other people that have announced for this race. Um, and the total four of us in this race is pretty much about on average with every other district race that's going on right now as well. Okay. And this is a nonpartisan election, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, all city... Uh, positions ex are nonpartisan. Okay. 
So you don't have to, you're not the Republican candidate or the Democrat candidate. You're just a candidate. Correct. Yeah. Which is nice because I can run on my views and I don't have to get approval from any any party. Yeah. You don't have to do the the party. I'm the voice of the party type stuff, which right now is kind of frustrating on both sides anyway. So, uh, but I wanted to bring you on. So a few months ago, we had uh, Nicholas DeSalvo on and he was a high schooler that ran for the Pueblo West Metro Board. Uh, 17 years old, he ran for the Pueblo West Metro Board and also student council. So he's running two races, um, just f- found out that he could run. And he, I think there was 12 candidates and he actually came in third, um, no experience whatsoever. And looking back, you know, he's like, I wish I would have known about fundraising. Um, you know, I wish I would have hired somebody to fundraise, do social media, stuff like that. But for having no experience, he did a really good job and it kind of brought a fresh voice. And I wanted to highlight you today because, you know, in Pueblo, um, even the state, sometimes there's this feeling that it's just the good old boys network or a revolving door. You'll have um, candidates, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, like I'm not disparaging anybody that runs for city council than county commissioner than the state or whatever. It's just how it is. But the public sees that it's like, oh, well, he's running for county commissioner now or, oh, he's running for city council again or she's running for county commissioner again. And, and it's the perception is it's just this revolving door of the same people going into different positions around. And we're really happy to see some new, young, fresh voices jump into politics and leadership positions. So you're 26. Uh, what did you go to school for? So originally I went to school for political science. Okay. Um, I ended up having to have a disc replacement in my spine. So I had to switch to online school. So I ended up getting my degree in intelligence analysis with the emphasis in the Middle East. Interesting. Where did you go to school? American Military University. Okay. Yeah. They let me finish online while I was stuck on the couch for three months. I think I, I think that's what I wrote a letter of recommendation for you back in the day. Um, interesting. Um, I did not know that about you. Uh, when, so when you went for this degree, what did you want to do with it? What line of work did you want to get in? What motivated you to, to switch to this? So originally, um, I always wanted to give back to the community. Um, my whole idea was eventually I wanted to be into politics mm-hmm. or get into politics. Um, but I figured that I would kind of go the State Department route. Okay. Um, so last year, actually, I applied for the Peace Corps. Uh, I got accepted. I was supposed to go to Zambia, Africa, and I was going to be there for two and a half years, uh, living in a mud hut, helping people learn about fisheries and nutrition and things like that. Um, However, COVID ended up canceling all of the Africa trips. Mm -hmm. So I figured that instead of me going to another continent to help, I can kind of do both things that I've wanted to do and A, run for office and B, give back to my community. And right now you're working for Catholic Charities. Correct. Yeah. I just started for Catholic Charities. Um, great organization. Yeah. Everyone's wonderful over there. Um, I've, it's great work. Yeah. We, we helped them a lot in Scott's office because they had a lot of visa issues with people um, with immigration. So we helped them out quite a bit. But, you know, one, one interesting thing that I did with Catholic Charities is when I had my youngest son, um, the, it, then the director wanted to show me what what they do for people, especially in Pueblo, where you have kind of a, an underserved, poor community. And, you know, when they have kids, they don't have a lot of resources and Catholic Charities really jumps in. And, and one thing I really liked was they brought books, you know, they bring books, 
and they have parenting classes and it's like, hey, read to your child. This is what you need to do. This, what make, this is what makes a good dad or a mom. And we're here to help you with that. So when we had Elliot, um, Catholic Charities actually came in and I don't think they knew who I was. The, the director at the time did, but he, again, he wanted to show what the services they offer because we were staunch supporters of Catholic Charities. Um, he actually, he didn't need to do that, but he wanted to show us. And it was, it was really, it was really helpful to see that perspective of somebody that, you know, has a kid young, doesn't have a lot of money, maybe doesn't even have a job, healthcare, how Catholic Charities really came in and helped. And, and of course I didn't take anything and we, we gave it all back. It was kind of like, thank you. But we, you know, then they see me returning it to Catholic Charities. And I was like, no, we, this was just um, kind of showing like what we do and what we offer. So they do some good work. And uh, what are you doing for them? So I'm doing developmental work. Um, okay. I'm in charge of fundraising and getting all the profits that we can continue giving services to um one, one thing not a lot of people know is Catholic Charities through all of Southern Colorado. Yes. Uh, we're just not in Pueblo County. I think we're in 16 counties and we have 24 programs. Wow. And it's Catholic Charities. So I assume that it's associated with the Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, so they are their own 501c3. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have on our board of directors, the bishop uh, is one of the people that gives direction Okay. when it comes to how he believes that we should be filling the charitable goal of the Catholic church. Yeah. And so it's not really the Catholic church, but associated with the Catholic church. And I think that that confuses some people because I I've heard it, you know, we've sent people to Catholic charities and it was more like, well, we're not Catholic. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. You know, we're not a member of the church They're they're just there to help. It's not the church. They're their own entity. So, Okay. Um, with that, we will continue for about 10 more minutes before we go to break. Um, so, so obviously you're giving back to the community. You're working for Catholic charities, which again, I can't speak high enough praise for. Um, so then you decided to run for city council. Why? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, one of my main things, I guess one of the main reasons why I'm running is that I feel like the current council doesn't represent everybody in Pueblo. Um, We have had the same representatives in Pueblo, not even just on city council, but the name figureheads on commissions on boards that have been there for so long. And I just feel like they're detached from the voice of the people they're representing. So it kind of goes back to what I was saying. It's this network of people that continue to run for these positions and you need, you want to inject something fresh and new in it. Correct. Yeah. Um, I think that with my voice and amongst, and as well as the other uh, young people that are running for office down here, I really believe that just having an influx of a uh, new perspective and a more modern view of culture, I think can really help propel Pueblo. So I always ask this of people that are running for office. Um, give me your three most important issues that you're focusing on. All right, so my three most important issues are gonna be public equity, revitalization, and affordable housing. Okay. Um, those all kind of tie into each other uh, in certain areas, but those are the top three. Well, out of those three, what is the most important? Uh, to me right now, it's gonna be the public equity. Um, whenever people ask me to give my elevator speech, I kind of, kind of, I find it kind of hard because 
every day that I'm running, I'm starting to learn more and more about our, our uh, community and the things that people need. And so recently, the public transit system has some, uh, been something that's really been motivating me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that could really tie into the public equity and the affordable housing type of things. So with the public transit system in Pueblo, um, I know we have buses. I've actually haven't rode a bus in Pueblo since probably high school. Um, I just don't see them being utilized, but I don't think they're as accessible as could be to the general population, specifically the underserved and the lower income people. Uh, How do you see it? How is this set up right now and how would you make it better? Yeah, so I do agree with you on that. Um, One of the main things that really gets to me is the fact that the public transit system here shuts down at six o'clock. You cannot get on a bus after six o'clock. So if you have a job that isn't a nine to five typical job, uh, you're not going to be able to have transportation back home if you don't have transportation there. Um, You're also not able to go to city council meetings considering they'll start at seven o'clock on Mondays. And it's right now it's, it's built to not help those who need it to access services. Uh, For instance, so Catholic Charities, the closest bus stop from Catholic Charities uh, on our, at our 10th street location is going to be 10 blocks away. Mm -hmm. So we have these people that need our services and that want to show up and we can offer this help, but we're expecting them to walk 10 blocks in either a five degree weather or b 105 degree weather. Yeah. And these are people that may have a a newborn child, um, may not be physically, um, able to get that. And that's a big deal. Like, uh, do you know how many people actually utilize the bus system in Pueblo? I don't. Um, but from what I've gathered is that it really is diminishing. Okay. And, if you had the magic wand, say you get elected and you could change this, um, how would you change it right now? Uh, so the public transit system, I would change uh, A, by totally restructuring where all the bus stops are. We need to have stops that are located in areas where um, people who do not have transportation, they should have a more abundance of bus stops. Uh, they should also be stopping at service areas. So Catholic Charities, for instance, or the soup kitchen, or the social security office that they just built uh, on over towards Pueblo West. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere where nobody can get to. Exactly, yeah. Um, so yeah, I would, I would really kind of revamp the whole thing. In a sense, I would ideally like to break it down and build it all up. Okay, that's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. How would this be funded? Um, so one thing that when it comes to funding, I know that obviously no one has every answer to funding, um, especially when it comes to local politics, because there's so many um, hidden accounts and whatnot. Um, but we really got to look at our reserves when it comes to this, I believe. Um, if we're going to invest in our community, we need to give basic needs. Basic needs have to be met first before we could even tackle jobs and things like that. So if we could take the money, I'm not sure exactly where it would come from, reserves or um, maybe Petco. Or this huge chunk of ARPA funding that just came down. Oh, correct. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and just put it in. And if we can help bring these people to the places they need, they can help take care of themselves. And I think that'll really create a ripple effect throughout the community. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, and we talked about this yesterday a bit, Um we have a great school here, two great schools. We have uh, Pueblo Community College, 
which is kind of central downtown, but it, it's more of a non-traditional school. So the people that go there, they're generally, uh, you know, they, they have a house or they're renting a house and they're kind of located down there. But CSU Pueblo um, is up on the hill, which has a diverse population of international students, veterans, um, people from all over the country attend CSU Pueblo. And one thing that they kind of was weird when I went there, I graduated from there. It's like, I would talk to these people and I had some friends there that were from Japan. They had two years at school, they had never been to Pueblo. And this is a huge population that actually has money to spend. Um, they could come out to restaurants, shopping, uh, but they're kind of in a place where they don't need to leave or there's no, there's no transportation for them to leave. Would this be something you would work on with the um, infrastructure of say the bus routes or, you know, can we get those students to come downtown? Yeah, actually that's another point. Um, I think that really ties into the revitalization efforts. So it's pretty common knowledge that um, downtown Pueblo has a lot of empty buildings, mm -hmm. uh, especially uh, off of Maine. Um, and to add on to your point about the college, we have such a detached uh, separation of uh, populations that they really do not come down and no one's yeah. had a slopper. And I bet you maybe a quarter of them even know what the state fair is. Um, yeah. So I think what would be really cool is if we could figure out a way to get these students downtown in some type of off-campus housing, mm -hmm. uh, and then we can use that and we can, we can build the transit system around um, around downtown and bring it into the college so they're, they're, so that there can be a continuous flow of students into downtown and back up north. And honestly, if I was a student there, I'd want that more than anything instead of just sitting up there on the hill. <laughs> you know. Um, all right, so we're going to go to break in a minute. And uh, when we get back, I want to talk more about this and some of the other ideas you have for uh, city council and the city of Pueblo and what you think is wrong, what can be fixed and what we're doing right. Because you know, Pueblo's kind of booming now and there are some right things that we're doing, but we'll get into that when we get back. So stick around. We'll be back right after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, XL Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. All right. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, again, I'm Brian McCain, and I'm here with Brandon Martin, and we're talking about his foray into public politics, run for city council. Um, we were talking about possibly setting up, exploring the idea of like some student housing more in the downtown area with some transportation that goes back and forth for the college. Um, and you mentioned something that kind of goes into the next part. There's a lot of vacant buildings downtown and vacant houses in Pueblo. And right now we, we are in the middle of a housing crisis, whereas there's not enough affordable housing for people. For instance, we have nurses and even doctors that want to come work here in Pueblo, but they have nowhere to live. So traditionally in the past, there's been a worker shortage and now there's workers, but there's a housing shortage. So we can't get the workers because there's nowhere for them to live. Not to mention that with the housing going up, you're seeing rent prices skyrocket, um, you know, to buy a house that would have cost $90,000 five years ago, they're selling for $250,000 now. So when you said that there's a lot of vacant buildings downtown and also houses, if you look out our window, you could, I could point to probably a dozen vacant houses out there. Um, one of the, the items you brought up was affordable, I call it affordable and accessible housing, accessible housing. So what are your thoughts on that? And what can we do in Pueblo to have housing for these people that are on the lower income side, um, students, uh, workforce, anything like that? So we're going to have to tackle this issue um, or challenge, I should say, through our community partners. Um, We have a lot of connections here in this town, I think, that uh, are more than happy to try and solve this uh, challenge altogether. We, in order to get rid of the vacancies, um, I believe that we need to have a vacancy tax. I think that that would really incentivize people to um, put people in their homes and especially downtown with all the vacant 
apartment uh, places above the bill, uh, above shops and things like that. Um, so yeah, what we need to do is work with our community partners in order to figure out a way to construct affordable housing. Uh, what the city can do on their side is we need to a uh, give land that is vacant um, to these partners that are willing to come in and build housing at uh, more affordable pricing. Um, or they need to give them some type of tax benefit uh, because if we can't get workers to come here, there's no way that we're going to be able to continue with this growth that we're in. Yeah. And it's, it's not just when you say workers, it's not just the average person that's getting a job at Walmart. It, this is essential workers, which is a term that's been, I think, overused quite a bit and rightfully so during the COVID pandemic, we're talking, um, you know, utility workers. Right now we're seeing the switch to renewable energy and we're, they're building these solar fields. Uh, you know, Vestas, I think was just bought out and they're gonna hire more people. Uh, the mill right now, they're expanding part of their operation and they're gonna hire people. And these people need houses to come here and work and we need them to come here and work. Uh, there has been some good th things. There's been some progress here in Pueblo. Uh, if you go down on Union Avenue, Recently, the Homes Hardware Building, which is right at the bottom of the bridge, uh, there's a guy that bought that out. They're turning it into kind of like a food court. Uh, it's not a brick and mortar restaurant, but if you wanted to start a restaurant, you could go in there and they take care of all the health code stuff. So you can experiment, see if you can move on and start a brick and mortar restaurant. But on top of it, they're going to offer housing. You know, there's going to be apartments up there. And then the building across the street, which I can't remember the name of, Somebody just bought that as well. An investor bought that to turn it into housing and a storefront property on the bottom. Uh, there's a building right up the street from us here on Main Street that's been vacant forever that I would love to see something done with it. It's got three or four levels above it. There's a movie theater in it. Not many people know, but here on 4th of Main, there's a movie theater. I don't think it's been used in probably five decades but there's apartment space above it. And that's right downtown. Uh, in the past, they took the, the rude candy factory up the street and now that's affordable housing for people. Uh, I think it's section eight or public housing. And those are nice apartments. If you go in those apartments, that would be a $2,500 a month apartment in Denver right now. Uh, across from the art center, you know, we'd see more there that, that they put together about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, so, with this, expanding from the downtown area, if you go on the east side or even on the west side of town or in Bessemer, one of the things that I, I thought was interesting was specifically on the east side, nobody that lives there, the majority of the people that live there are renting. It's not lived in by owners. And the east side kind of has a bad rap for being a, a crime area. And, and it's not a great area of town because, there, A, there's no grocery store. It's a food desert. There's nothing there. So you have this community of people that are probably renting. And now we're seeing the owners coming in and selling the houses and Californians are coming in and buying them up. But on the east side of Pueblo, once they shut down the grocery store, I think four or five years ago, it's literally a food desert. Do you have any thoughts on that? How you can bring something in like even a community center? I know that community health center, uh, Donald Moore, he was on our show way back at the beginning of this and they're they built a new community health center there that I think is going to serve 10,000 people on the east side. And he, there's plans and visions to like put in more of a community center, um, a store, maybe it's a food pantry, anything like that. But what, what do you think could improve that area of our town? Well, 
the food desert on the east side is something that is absolutely uh, incredible, uh, not in a good way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, every single person I've talked to that works in the uh, houselessness community or the underprivileged community point that out within, I would say, at least 30 seconds. Um, we really need to bring some type of uh, grocery store over there, or we need to give people the ability to be able to go get groceries. This kind of ties into my whole uh, busing transit talk. Uh, people can't go get groceries after six o'clock at night. Yeah, they work a, a nine to five job and they can't. Exactly. Yeah. What are they supposed to do if their child gets sick or something like oh, that? Or if, how are you going to bring back 20 bags of groceries on a bus? Exactly. Um so yeah, we need to address that. I'm not exactly sure, but I would say that if I was to get elected uh, day one, I would be making as many phone calls as I can to figure out this issue. So in Pueblo, we have a bad rap of being one of the more violent cities in Colorado. Some, sometimes you read like the New York Times and it's like second most violent crime rate in North America. I don't really see that. And I think that's kind of a misnomer. I, I like to think that we kind of keep that reputation to keep people from moving here. <laughs> you know, like, don't move here. It's terrible. Stay out of Pueblo. Like, stay in Texas, stay in California, stay in Denver. It's so bad down here, but it's not. Uh, but public safety is a big issue and, and it's a concern. I know there's been just in the recent few months, it seemed to be an uptick of some of the, the violent crime here in Pueblo and even like DUIs and, you know, stuff like that. So what would you do to improve public safety in Pueblo? Well, public safety right now is obviously a little bit more of a complicated um, situation. Um, firstly, I'd like to also say that I believe that the public police department does a fairly good job. They're above um, many statistics when it comes to representation or employment. And just from last year to this year, they've decreased their response times, I think, by eight minutes. Um, so, but also a part of that, uh, the public police department is a CIT program. So it's a civilian intervention team. Uh, these are licensed professionals, licensed therapists that are on shift with uh, police officers uh, every day. Uh, so for those who may not know, um, I'll just play dumb. So their CIT uh, program. So say a police officer goes to a domestic violence or, you know, gets somewhere, somebody suicidal. Is this where CIT steps in and assists the police officer that, Maybe a police officer isn't the right answer, but a professional that kind of can help. Correct. Yeah. So it, they are really meant to tackle the whole uh, mental illness side of things. And the really cool thing I like about the program is that they arrive at the same exact time as police officers. So their response time is very fast. Uh, and obviously they are more educated than police officers. So they can step in and they can help dictate and make sure that the situation is handled properly and that there's no inaccurate or instinctual matters. Yeah. And, and wait, they're more educated than police officers. Are you calling police officers, Doug? <laughs> Your dad would slap me uh, right he now. He would no, slap me. They're, 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 they're educated in a different way than police officers. They're more specialized when it comes to mental health. Correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. So would you expand this program? Yeah, I would love to expand the CIT program. Uh, currently, there's only one on each shift. So one on the north side, one on the south side at uh, any given time. I ideally would like to see at least three and three. So a total of six in the city. Um, I really think that this can help tackle the problems that a lot of police officers have been getting put on their backs, especially when it comes to 
drug related things that aren't violent or um, houselessness, people that just need services and things like that. Yeah, and another complaint here in Pueblo is that we don't have enough police officers. They're just stretched too thin right now. And, you know, there was a time where if it wasn't a violent crime, they're like, come in tomorrow and we'll handle this. Um, do you, are you in favor of expanding the numbers of the police? Uh, so I'm not against it, if that makes sense. I think that they obviously need more police right now. Um, obviously there will hit a point where we don't need more police. Uh, one thing that I believe with that it comes with public safety is yes, I think that we do need to invest in our police department, but we also need to invest in our fire department mm -hmm. and our emergency services. Uh, this is also going to take the load off of police officers back if we have uh, the proper number of firefighters, the proper number of EMTs that are showing up to places. And um, the cops don't have to take on other jobs that aren't theirs. So yes, I believe that we should increase funding for police. Um, but I think we should look at it from a strategic perspective. Yeah. And, and that's where you see, you know, there's a wreck on the interstate and it's, you know, five police cars there and not a fire truck or an ambulance yet. They're taking, they have to, they take a while to get there. And so if we expanded that, maybe it would alleviate the police dealing with that more and have the fire and AM, American AMR come in or whoever. Yeah. So um, the fire department, for instance, currently they are, uh, the most understaffed they've been since the 1960s. Yeah. And last year they got the most calls that they ever have. Wow. Yeah. So they're definitely taking on a huge load as well. Yeah. So if my uncle listens to this, which he probably doesn't, but <laughs> he retired as fire chief, probably at the right time. <laughs> he, he retired right, right before COVID. And I, I talked to him once. I was like, are you glad to be retired? He's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lucky like, guy. <laughs> I retired at the right time, but they, they're doing an awesome job. The public fire department's always been held in high esteem and they've, They've always done a good job with what they get. Um, going back to your list of three important things, what else did you list on there? Equity, revitalization, and affordable housing. So explain to me community equity. I know we talked about this with the transportation and the buses, yeah. but what, what is community equity? So community equity, um, in my opinion, obviously, is everyone having the exact same amount of services that they need to operate on the same level, if that makes sense. So for one in, or if for one side of the society, they have or they need X number of things, X number of benefits or funds to do this. And the other side is completely, completely underfunded and they need twice as much, then we should be doing that. We should give this community twice as much so that they can get on equal playing field as this one as the one. Um, part of that, I believe, is just representation in general. Uh, Pueblo used to have a 2010 commission that was made in 1995, mm -hmm. I believe. And it was built up of just these community leaders and from all over town, from all different organizations and boards. And they all got together to dictate the path of Pueblo and how they envisioned the future of Pueblo being in 2010. Um, so when in 2010, once they had, they ended up redoing the commission to 2030, However, everyone I talked to on the 2030 commission has no idea what the other one has uh, when it comes to planning or a future or anything like that. Um, so kind of how I feel with public equity is we need to bring everyone from all sides of the community together so that they can help dictate the path that they view Pueblo going rather than just a bunch of different individuals who are detached from society or that are only representative of certain parts. Yes, in the 2010, committee or commission actually, uh, <coughs> excuse me, led to the Riverwalk. 
I mean, that was a big part of that. And one thing, and I was joking earlier when we don't want people to move here, come and see Pueblo, but Pueblo is actually, it's a beautiful area. And there, I mean, you, we have the reservoir, you drive 30 minutes one way, you're in the mountains, you're on a river, you're fishing. We have gold water trout fishing here in the middle of our downtown. Um, if you live in Pueblo, you can get in your car and drive six minutes and be fly fishing and catching some of the best fish in the, the state. Um, but Pueblo, they've really recently have been kind of advertising outside of Pueblo, like come and see Pueblo. And, and you see it with other cities, you know, you could drive down I-25 and it's like, come to Alamosa, see the sand dunes and alligator farm. But we never really saw that with Pueblo. And it seems like Pueblo is taking a bigger role in advertising outside of it. Obviously we have the state fair and that brings so many people down. And for anybody listening, I think they would agree with us that the state fair needs to stay in Pueblo. It doesn't need to go to Denver, which pops up every year. Um, <laughs> but with that, would you be for a plan that would advertise Pueblo kind of show it in a better light? Um, there's a, I think it's one Pueblo and, and some of the stuff that Garrison's doing with the county commissioners, making it a more business friendly environment. One of the, the friendliest in the country right now. But how are we going to get these people from Denver to say, hey, let's go to Pueblo for the weekend? Or generally Alamosa, southeastern Colorado, they come up to Pueblo quite a bit. But what about Durango? Like, hey, come to Pueblo for the weekend. We have the reservoir, go camping, come see our downtown, eat at our restaurants. We have a lot of great restaurants here. Uh, would you be for something like that? Like a pro-Pueblo advertising campaign outside of Pueblo? Of course. Um, I think when it comes to Pueblo, we beat up on ourselves a lot, especially with our reputation. And so I think that was kind of the nature for a while it, for us not to market it is because we kind of held ourselves down. Um, but I would love to see us really expanding and bringing in people from around, uh, around the state, at least. Uh, we have two different projects for trains that are coming into this town that's drastically going to increase tourism and um, visitors just in general. And actually, uh, there was a guy who worked for the Latino Chamber of Commerce. His name is Noah Comerford, but he is in charge of the website supporting Pueblo. Mm -hmm. And it's that we have, he just told me the other day that there's actually someone from Massachusetts who just bought a bushel of chilies that they're going to get at the end of this year. Um, so I think that it's little things like that, that is just us promoting ourselves in those different areas are things that we are passionate about that can really bring people here. Chili Fest. Chili Fest. Which yes. is huge now. I remember that started off, it was, you know, one day with a bunch of chili roasters downtown. And now it's, it's like a quarter of the state fair, you know, uh, and, and with the, you're right with the rail projects, we have the um, Southwest chief that will probably be routed through Pueblo. Um, that's still kind of a fight and there's a debate going on how this is going to work funded and everything. But this, uh, this offers the potential 10 years from now that we may have a train that goes from Denver to Pueblo and then Pueblo down to the Valley, around Southern Colorado, New Mexico, everywhere like that, which will be tourists. They will come up here. They will come down here from Denver. Hey, hop on the train, go to the state fair. You don't have to drive, just park, ride the train down. Uh, if we could get something like that here, I, I think, and it's gonna happen, I believe, but that's gonna be huge, not only for Southeastern Colorado, but for Pueblo and even Denver. And, and with this push right now after COVID that you don't have to work in a skyscraper um, you don't have to have a huge fancy office. We're seeing that that migration of people out to more rural areas. And Pueblo is in the perfect spot to take advantage of this. I know Pedco does a great job 
bringing businesses in. Um, the city does, the Chamber of Commerce, everybody. And, and it's, it's kind of like, I was talking to somebody from Utah and they're looking at doing some stuff in Pueblo and I'm trying to connect them to the right people. But they did an economic study of the area and, not, and all of Southeastern Colorado from El Paso County on down. And it was like, man, this area is just ripe. It's gonna blow up. It's like right on the cusp of being something huge and important. And for years, I've felt that way about Pueblo in Southeastern Colorado, but now it's actually happening. And that, that makes me happy um, to see this and being a part of it, working with Action 22 and whatever else I'm doing. Um, working for Scott's office for 10 years, you know, we, we really, really tried to get Pueblo and Southern Colorado on the map of this is perfect for you. This is perfect for your business. And I, I think with you on city council, like if, if you get elected, I want to see you and we'll hold you accountable to it um, to make that happen, to, to be the voice of Pueblo, to not just Pueblo, but outside of Pueblo to bring this in. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I really honestly think that we're at a turning point in our community. And like you said, people have been talking about it for a while, but it's actually starting to happen. And I really think that if we can get ahead of this, we can probably be totally different in 10 years. Yes. And as we say with Action 22, um, Pueblo is kind of the hub. So every all of our counties around Pueblo, it's a symbiotic relationship. If Pueblo succeeds, the counties, the surrounding counties will succeed as well. Except El Paso, they're fine. They, they're part of Action 22, but they, they got their, they have a bunch of other stuff they're working on right now and they're doing okay. Um, but I'm, I'm talking some of the lower counties like Querfano, Los Animas, Baca, Castilla, Conejos, you know, they have the symbiotic relationship to Pueblo. And that's why I know this show is for Action 22, but we talk about Pueblo a lot. And, and that's, that's the reason for it. That's why our office is here, actually. Um, what... And I'll say this too, you know, we don't endorse candidates. We'd give them a, a voice on our platform. Um, anybody that's a, any candidate that's a member of Action 22, I invite you on the show. So just send me an email, show at action22.org. And I'm more than happy to have you come on and talk about your platform and what you're doing and your ideas and thoughts. But let's do some fun. Um, so college. What did you study again? Intelligence analysis. So intelligence analysis. So you wanted to go into the state department. Correct. COVID killed the Peace Corps and it was a Mideastern area of emphasis. emphasis. Yeah. Okay. So what did you study? What does that mean? <laughs> okay. So pretty much what I looked at a lot is, um, I guess Al Qaeda, ISIS, uh, those kinds of things, just like the recruiting platforms. Um, We'd studied a lot of just Islam in general. Mm -hmm. um, Islam, except in the Middle East, their religion and their culture is so intertwined that yes. you have to study both of them to even get a little bit of yes. a grasp. Um, so I studied a lot of that. Uh, the Quran we had to read, all that kind of fun stuff, and just really looked at how the religious side of things really does play a big role in the cultural side of things. Yeah. It's tied in like 100%. You, you have to address it. It's just not like you're an Afghani, you are a Muslim Afghani or even a Christian, there are Christian Afghanis, but it's their government, their culture, and their religion are all the same thing in the Mideast. Right? Yeah. And it even gets, um, 
it even gets a little bit more complicated when you start looking at Sunnis and Shiites and the differences between their religions and, and just how uh, they view the successor of Muhammad and how all that thing, how they've been, I guess, fighting for years and years and years. And then you get into the tribalism of it too, which then you have like the, the Sunnis and Shiites, but there's other tribes mm-hmm. of different religions. And I remember when, when I deployed there, it was like, 37 different dialects depending on where you're at and uh you know uh what tribe they're a part of and what you could and couldn't say and who you were associated with and it it was fascinating because even going there it was like some of the people that we we met in the afghanis and um, i'm sure it's the same with iraqis and some of the other areas but in afghanistan particularly like they had no idea what was going on in the world Mm -hmm. they they were still thinking that like they were at war with the Soviets and you roll up in there and they're like, are you Russian? They're like, no, we're American. They're like, Oh, so America's here now. And we're like, yeah, don't you watch the news? And they're like, no, <laughs> like, but that village over there, they are a bunch of a-holes that we will destroy. <laughs> like, you know, and, and it's generational too. And, and people don't get that. It's like, they'll have, there'll be blood feuds going down for the 200 years over somebody married somebody they shouldn't have or somebody stole something or somebody owes somebody money and it's just fascinating and it was a kind of a shock going as an American where it's like everything's on the news you see everything and then you get there and it's people that's like well 200 200 years ago these guys did this to us so we don't like them and wait you're not Russian okay so we don't like the Russians okay Al-Qaeda yeah those guys are you know, we don't like those guys either, but they have more guns than us. And so what are you going to do for us here? You know, which, which it's, it's kind of, I know the, the war in Afghanistan is, you know, we're withdrawing and there's Al Qaeda's making attacks now trying to seize more territory and stuff. And it's kind of unfortunate, but one good thing that I did see coming out of Congress is they're expediting the interpreters for visas to come to the United States. That was my biggest fear is, you know, when we pulled out, are we going to leave all these people behind that will just basically get slaughtered when we leave? Yeah. And America, I think, is doing a good thing in getting these guys here right away because they did help us for 20 years, you know, and and going back to that, you know, there's blood feuds that last 200 years. That could be, a, they helped the Americans, so. Yeah, that could last forever for, yeah. in their eyes. Yeah, so, well, any last words? we got about a minute left. Um. Where, where can they find you? Where, where oh, can they find your information? Yeah, so I have a Facebook page, uh, Brandon Martin for City Council, and my website is going to be martinforpueblo.com. Um, I also pride myself on answering every single question or email or message from anyone who has a question. Um, so please feel free to reach out, or and we'll figure out a time to talk. And, and your email address is 2021brandonmartin at gmail.com. Correct. All right. Send them an email. Um, let them know what you think. And with that, show at action22.org, comments, thoughts, concerns, ideas, email me, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.